I think I'm now. Uh, I think it's my turn. Uh, praise the Lord that they did really well. Uh, I got to go and see them do their competition. I tried to pay off some of the judges, but uh, they uh, they said no, they, they wouldn't take anything. So, But they, they did really good. And uh, praise the Lord for those who came and worked here. We, we lost power. Jimmy Howell had one job to do, and that was to pay the light bill. No, just kidding. Uh, they were doing some work around here, and they, we lost power uh, for several hours. But uh, there were several that just kept on. They're like, I don't care, it's dark. And they just kept on working. It was quite impressive. Uh, so praise the Lord for that. We're uh, in Matthew chapter 20, and we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 16. Matthew chapter 20, 1 through 16, and uh, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And, those, and to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and they have been made equal to us, uh, who have bore the burden of the scorching heat all of the day. But, the, but he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you know wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to these last men the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I, have, I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story that we, we know and we've heard. We've heard it in Sunday school. We've heard it in different places. I pray now that uh, as we seek something that can't be done through, through singing, something that can't be done through rhetoric from jokes, but something that's done through your spirit working within us using your word, and that's to be conformed to the image of your son. Father, I pray now that as we look at this story that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives and that we would have a greater understanding of those things that we need to apply to our life. 
be more like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, uh, grace is something that we really have a hard time dealing with. Uh, many times we, we don't get grace, uh, we, we don't understand it, and, and we feel really uncomfortable with it. Uh, you can think about somebody who has been involved in giving grace to other people, ministering. Many times that person, it becomes very, very difficult for them uh, to receive something. Uh, they've been giving and giving and giving to somebody, but now that they're at the end of their life and they require somebody to be giving to them, it, it, sometimes it becomes very difficult for, for them to just receive gracious acts of kindness. And In fact, many times they want to pay you for <laughs> what you're doing for them. and uh, They just don't get it. They, they don't want to be uh, owing somebody something. They, they want to show that they have worth, but that's the whole point of grace is that uh, there is no worth and you're bestowing a grace upon them. Here we find in this, um, this, this uh, story, this parable, uh, a phrase that gets used in verse 16 that says, so the last shall be first and the first last, which is, uh, ties in with chapter 19, verse 30. It says, but um, many who are first will be last and the last first. And so really Jesus is tying in what he has just spoken about to what he has been speaking about. And it has this uh, idea of this kingdom of heaven uh, where it kind of defies human logic. There's, there's children that get to go in, but then there's moral people that get pushed out. It, it doesn't really make sense. And, and on a bigger level, we're talking about this kingdom of heaven as something that is godly coming down to earth and establishing itself. And that just seems... It seems kind of crazy. I mean, almost seems like some type of sci-fi movie, you know? Uh, can, can we really take this seriously, that somehow some being out there is going to come and establish a kingdom and rule here on earth? Is that really possible? That means, that sounds like something that Marvel would make up, you know? Not, what, what is here? What's going on with this? And the truth is, is that we might look at the Gospel of Matthew and see where it's mentioning this aspect of the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about this, where the divine comes to this earthly. And we might think that that is just something that Matthew presents, but it's not really. It, it starts all in, in Genesis, where God created the heavens and the earth. He established the earth. And uh, out of the whole earth, he establishes a garden and puts man in it and gives man dominion in that garden. Uh, he establishes a relationship with him, and uh, he is to obey God, and he obeys his rule. And as the man obeys the rule of God, uh, he is supposed to rule the earth, he's supposed to rule uh, over plants and animals and so forth. He's supposed to administer all these things. But man sinned. He sinned, and he went away from what God had commanded him. In fact, you see in the narrative that um, uh, he didn't go up to God and say, you know, I messed up. I ate the fruit that you told me not to eat. Uh, in fact, he, goes, he and Eve go and hide, and God has to go and search them out and, and, and find them. But uh, we see this aspect of God and earth appear in other places. For example, in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, 
through 17, you remember that Jacob is running from Esau. His mom told him to uh, go to her brother, Laban, and uh, he's on his way there, and he spent the night in Bethel. And you remember as he is sleeping there in Bethel, he has this, he sees this ladder that goes from earth all the way to heaven. There's angels going up and down. There's this aspect where God is invading earth. There's, there's this aspect of God invading earth. We see it again over in Daniel chapter 7 where he sees this vision of all these uh, kingdoms, but then there's a kingdom that comes from outside, and this one who is the son of man, he comes and establishes a kingdom, and he has all dominion, all power. And we might think, wow, that is just really crazy to think about that uh, someone would do that here. I mean, <laughs> out of all the planets of the world, they're going to come to earth? And that's what God has established. In fact, he's going to uh, not establish it as Eden. He's going to move forward, and it's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But here, Jesus is talking about this, and it's not the message just of the Gospel of Matthew, but it's the message that we've seen throughout the Old Testament. God establishing his kingdom here on earth. Now, as we look at this parable, we see that um, this parable has to take place in a certain place. It, it happens in a place. And uh, we see the place is, uh, verse 1 of chapter 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So there we have, we have the place. We have a, a, a town, and we think about ancient Near Eastern towns, how they were developed. The towns would be very small, very compact. It's not like people had a bunch of yards. Houses are stuck together. Roads are very narrow. But uh, outside of the town limits are the vineyards or the wheat fields or everything else. Uh, people worked out there, and then they came back into the town to, to sleep and to live and so forth. So here we have this, um, this reference of a vineyard. Now, Jesus has given parables of other places. Uh, if you remember, he, was, he gave a parable about the, uh, the, the good seed and how there was this guy, he has a seed, and he's throwing the seed out, and some fall on the way, and of course the ground is too hard, and birds come and they eat it. There's uh, other seed that falls on uh, rocky ground, and it starts to take root, but because the roots can't go very deep because of all the rocks, the sun comes out and it burns it up. And then some seed falls on good ground, and uh, the good ground, it uh, produces fruit, produces lots of fruit. And in fact, it, uh, it's an illustration of, of the gospel. And some people hear the gospel, and uh, they, they, they don't accept it. They reject it. Even though you clearly present the gospel, they'll, they'll reject it. Others will kind of seem to accept it, but uh, they, they, they don't really believe. And when hardship comes around, they, they end up taking off. And then there's others who, as you present the gospel to them, they accept it and believe it and they live it and they produce fruit. Uh, so Jesus has used seed or parable. He's also used a, a wheat field. You remember that uh, there was a landowner and he had this field and he had his servants cast out wheat. Uh, but then someone in the night put uh, tares in. You remember? And uh, all of a sudden it starts to grow up. It looks very similar. And then the, <laughs> the workers, they notice, oh, my word. There's a bunch of tares there with the wheat. All, this, uh, all these weeds there. Uh, so Jesus has talked about that. He's also talked about uh, the mustard uh, seed, teeny tiny. He gave a parable about that. 
and about the mustard tree, you know, how it grows and birds come and so forth. So he's used a bunch of different illustrations to give this parable about the kingdom of heaven, but now he decides to use a, a vineyard. And as soon as he starts talking about a vineyard, it ends up being more than just a parable. It goes to be something more. It goes to be something theological. And it really references back to Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, you remember the, the situation where God is talking through Isaiah and uh, he says uh, that uh, he prepared the ground, he built a wall, he prepared everything, and um, uh, he planted this, this, uh, this vine there, a vineyard. And uh, he cultivated that vineyard and worked in that vineyard and, and, and carefully took care of it, and it started producing fruit. But lo and behold, the fruit that it produced were sour grapes. They're, they're no good. Bad fruit. Even though he had been involved, even though he cultivated it, even though he was involved uh, caring for this vineyard, at the end it produced bad fruit. It would have referenced a, a, a theological theme here as soon as he starts talking about this vineyard. It's not just Isaiah chapter 5, but Psalm 80, verse 8 and 9, Jeremiah 2, 21. They all make reference to where God is working at as he's working at in this vineyard type thing. He, he's involved. So as they're thinking about this and as they're talking about this in this place where Jesus is uh, referencing, there's two things that we kind of note that seem quite logical. The first is for the people to work in his vineyard, they, uh, they have to be abandoning working for self. That, that, that has to go out the window. They, they can't have this idea of, I'm going to have my vineyard, and I'm going to work in my vineyard, and then later on I'm going to work a little bit in your vineyard. And I'm just going to kind of vacillate between the two. Like that has to go out, right? He's going to go and get workers, and in doing that, uh, they're going to have to abandon their own self. Now, now, that goes against the American dream, doesn't it? I mean, especially how Texans are, right? You know, independent, self-sufficient. We're going to get her done type deal, right? That, that idea, it, this goes against it. Abandoning self, not having a backup plan, giving the ongoing in pursuit of God. Well, that's ridiculous. Who would do that? What type of person would do this? It, and yet, we see that if they're going to work in the vineyard, they're going to have to leave where they're at, and they're going to have to pursue where he's at. There's no other way. They can't just kind of work halfway, you know. I'll cut a little from my vineyard, cut a little from your vineyard, it'll work out. It doesn't work like that. And then the obvious thing is that if they're abandoning working for self, they're going to be working for God's vineyard. And that seems quite logical, but it's, when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of that, uh, are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? There, there's few that get up, I mean, just to be honest. There, there's few that say, yes, I, I would love to abandon self and, and all my backup plans, and, and I just want to pursue that. You give the invitation out, um, and, and you have a coliseum full of people, and that those who go forward are, are very few in comparison to all the people that are in the stands. It just happens that way that this idea of working for him, I don't know about that. There should be some type of backup plan. Maybe some training in some other area just in case the vineyard doesn't pan out. Now this work, this place is going to be in God's vineyard. 
Now, not only do we see that there's a place, there are also characters involved in this parable. There's characters. The first character that we see is this landowner. And really, he's the man of the household. He's the one who owns the properties. Uh, when we see this guy, he, he owns the land. It's his. It's not like he's borrowing it. It's not like he's uh, uh, leasing it from somebody else. This is his land. And not only is it his, he has a plan. So when he goes out to find workers, he, he's not looking for somebody to advise him. Like, like what should I do with this land? <laughs> he's not asking for advice. He's not going out asking for counsel either. Like, what, what do you think we should do here? You think of maybe a, a pool of water here to make it? He, he, he has his plan. He has set forth... His, his, what his needs are. He, he has a plan and he is working towards that. He is inviting people to join with what he's doing, but he's not asking for advice. In fact, he could really, I'm not trying to be nasty or anything, but he could really care less what their opinions were. They're not being brought on to give opinions. They're being brought on to work. That, that's what they're being brought on to do. Now, um, he owns it. It's his plan. He's inviting people to be involved in it. And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, he's planning on paying people uh, regardless how many come. A man that has to have a lot of resources, right? I mean, if we're going to hire somebody, we go through budgets and budgets and budgets and, and look and look and look. And then finally we say, okay, you know, we can hire a part-time person half a day. You know, it's like, uh, not this guy. This guy has unlimited resources. He, he goes again and again and again and invites people to work. Now, not only do we see the landowner who owns the land, who has his plan, he's not looking for counsel, not looking for direction, not looking for advice. He goes and he finds workers. Now, this would almost seem like um, uh, uh, day, day workers. These are would almost seem like somebody who is uh, self-employed. Uh, they have their own business, you could say. But, but don't think of them like this. Uh, in the society that they're in, they would have been below slaves. Slaves would have at least had a place to sleep and food to eat. The, these guys don't have any of that. They, they don't have really any worth, or else they would have been hired somewhere. They would have been a slave to somebody. The, these guys are at the bottom of the barrel. They have really nothing to offer and they just hope that somebody will bring them on to do something that is so menial that they'll get some money to be able to eat something. That, that's, that's these guys. So don't think of an independent worker like a uh, self-contracting type person. No, these are the bottom of the barrel. And this is who the, the guy's going to go look for. The, the, owner, the, the landlord, the, the owner of the vineyard, he's going to go look for these guys to bring them on. Now, as we look at this guy, at these guys, um, he goes and uh, he's looking for individuals to work, and it says that he goes at the beginning of the day. The beginning of the day at that time would have been six in the morning. That's when their day started. So he, he goes. It's not like the workers come to him asking for work, no. He takes the first step forward, and he goes and finds them. And he invites them to go work in his vineyard. And he agrees on a price that he's going to pay them. And they accept the invitation, and they go and work. 
That's what they do. He graciously offers. They graciously, they, they accept in uh, the neediness that they have. They accept it and they go to work. Now, that's not the only ones that he goes in contracts, but we see later on that he goes at the third hour, which would have been 9 o'clock. Uh, he goes at 9 o'clock and he finds some people that says there in verse 3 that are idle. Now, it's an interesting word, idle, because it kind of has uh, kind of three different meanings depending on the context. Uh, one idea can be just somebody unemployed, somebody that doesn't have a, a job, and that would definitely fit with them. But another meaning this word has is that, that they're lazy. Maybe they said, six in the morning? Who gets up at six in the morning to go work? I'm not getting up at no six in the morning. I'll go and I'll show up at nine o'clock. If somebody needs me, I'll work. But I'm not six in the morning. <laughs> Another idea that this word carries is worthless. Like they add no value at all. They, they add no value. You, you get them to try to organize the flowers and they start working there and all of a sudden you got flowers scattered everywhere. And you're like, what did you do? All you were supposed to do was arrange this a little bit. They add no value. They add absolute no value. They, they make things worse. That's what this word idle carries the meaning. And now we get this idea of who this uh, landowner is going to go get. He's not getting somebody that he's found a huge resume of being able to know how to, how to pick the fruit, you know, turn it or, or whatever you're supposed to do with fruit. This is, he's getting the bottom of the barrel. Now, he doesn't just get the ones at 9 o'clock. He goes back at 12 o'clock. He's going during his lunch hour to go find workers for his vineyard. That's pretty amazing. That's quite gracious to give up his lunch for finding these workers. And not only at 12, but he's also going to do it at 3 o'clock. Now, the day ends at 6. Three to six, is it really worth bringing somebody on at that time? I mean, really? Uh, what, what type of person hasn't been able to find somebody to hire them at three o'clock in the afternoon? But it gets much worse because it goes all the way to the 11th hour, which would have been five o'clock. Five o'clock, one hour. Now, think of the town again. You have the town, very compressed, very small. There's the marketplace kind of in the middle. Uh, he leaves his vineyard, goes out to the town, goes into the town, finds these people, and they're standing around, it says. They're just standing around. They're like looking at each other like, it's almost six. <laughs> I won't have to work at all today, you know. They're like, hot dog, just wait a little bit longer. And here comes the, the landowner, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And he says, well, no one has hired us. And so he invites them at 5 o'clock to go work. Now, how does that work out? I mean, they got to walk, they got to leave the town, they got to go find his vineyard to start working. If they haven't found work by 5 o'clock, do you think they're going to arrive right at 5 o'clock at his vineyard? They'll be wandering around, where's the vineyard? Where is it? I mean, that's what, <laughs> they haven't been able to find work by 5 o'clock. They're not going to, maybe they'll, find, they'll be there by 5.30, maybe 5.45. And then what are they going to do? They're going to start picking grapes at 5.45 when everybody else is like starting to collect their stuff. 
here they are. There they are. And he invites them, graciously invites them, even all the way to the 11th hour. The other person that we see here is the foreman. This guy works for the landowner. He obeys the landowner. The landowner tells him something to do. He does it. He doesn't start to argue with him. He doesn't say, you know what, you know, you did that last time. It didn't really work out. He doesn't do that. Whatever the landowner says, he does. And he's going to be told, I want you to pay him, and I want you to pay him in this order, in this amount. And he, doesn't, he just goes and does it. He's quite incredible. Now, as we look at this, we want to focus uh, our attention on, on two of these specifically. The landowner. He, he has this vineyard, and the vineyard is just huge. It doesn't matter how many people he gets to work, it seems like there is still work to be done. And he keeps on going back and back and inviting more and more people to come and work. And, and there's enough space for everyone. Everyone that will go and work, there's space for them. He has work that needs to be done. The other thing that we see is that he goes out and finds the workers. He, that's what he does. He, he it's not like the workers decide to one day, I'm going to go and find myself an employer. No. You think about back at the scene of Genesis when man sinned. Who took the first step to reconcile with God? Was it man? Maybe he, he chose God? No. They were hiding. They were covering themselves up. And God had to come and take the first step towards them. In fact, if God doesn't take the first step, there is no salvation. There's no way that we on ourselves say, I'm going to choose you. No. God, he takes the first step. And here we see this landowner. He, he goes and he takes the first step. He goes and finds the workers. He graciously gives idle men work. And he has resources. Lots of resources. Plenty of resources that he can pay all those who accept his invitation. He does. Anyone that accepts the invitation, he can pay. That's incredible to think about this guy. Now, uh, I don't know if he's got like one of those PPP loans or something going on like that. I'm just kidding about that. He doesn't have no PPP loan. He has resources to pay and pay and pay. Now, not only do we see the landowner, but we also see the workers. The workers here, uh, what do they have to offer? Well, they're worse than a slave. They really are. I mean, they're worthless. If they had some type of trade, they'd be working at that trade. But they are completely worthless. They add no value, but he goes and go gets them and asks them to come work. And not only does he do that, but they really have no hope unless the landowner comes and seeks them out. Unless he takes the first step, they've got no hope of work. They don't have any options. They depend totally on the graciousness of the landlord. Now, think about this for a moment. Imagine if they had an existential crisis at the moment of, of talking with the landowner. What if they said, maybe the landowner isn't real? I mean, I hear him talking, but man, it's hot out here. That tea that I drank the other night, maybe, maybe I'm hallucinating something. Or, or maybe he doesn't have any land at all. Maybe he's making all that stuff up, and I'm just going to go work at some guy's field. And then at the end of the day, he's like, joke's on you, candid camera, ha, ha, ha. You know, you know what, what if he starts having this existential 
crisis going on and says, well, what if he doesn't have any funds? I go work for him all day, then I go to get paid, and he's like, Shh, I don't have any money. See, they could start to doubt the landowner. What would happen if they doubted? They wouldn't go and work, and then they wouldn't get the payment. See, they would miss out if they had a lack of faith. And it would take a step of faith to believe that the landowner could do what he promised to do, to give them the work that they wanted and to be able to pay them what they agreed upon. They have to take a step of faith because without that step of faith, they're just in their same condition. There's no change at all. Now, as we look at this, we see that there's a crisis. Now, depending on how you look at the crisis, the crisis can be looked at two different ways. The one way is to look at the vastness of the vineyard. The vastness of the vineyard. Uh, you look at this, and he hires and hires and hires people, and it doesn't matter how many people he hires, there's still more vineyard that needs work. It's just incredible to think about this. This guy's vineyard is so massive that it doesn't matter how many people there are to work, it's not enough. We think about if, if we relate it to God and he's working in this world and he has this work going on and we're to go out and make disciples, it really doesn't matter how many people surrender. We could take all of y'all. I remember being in Chittagong, Bangladesh, a densely populated city. We could put each of us on a street corner there and spend the next 20 years trying to start a church and it wouldn't be enough. We wouldn't reach the city. I mean, is that densely populated? You think about all the people groups around the world that don't even have a translation of God's word in their language. You say, hey, open up to John 3.16. <laughs> I don't have a Bible in my language. Look at the difficulty of this is that the vastness of the vineyard is a crisis. But it's not a crisis for the laborer, for the worker. That's the problem of the landowner. He, it's his vineyard. It's his problem. He's got to figure that out. And we could start arguing about, should we go here? Should we stay here? Should we do this? That's not the point. The point is to be faithful to the landowner. The other crisis is the shock of the workers. Now, the shock, as we look at this, the landowner instructs the foreman to pay, and they get the guys who came in last, and they start to pay them first, and they pay them a, a denarius. And uh, you can see from the text that they, the guys who started working there all day long, they're like, oh, he got a denarius. They were fine with that. They're like, we're going to, it's going to be a ton of money. And if they gave those guys for one hour, imagine what they're going to give us. And as they're paying everybody, everybody gets the same payment. They all get a denarius. They're shocked. And, and you see the shock in verse 10. It says, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more money. There's their problem is that they thought. They weren't asked to think. I mean, really, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here, but they weren't asked to think. They were invited to come and work, and all they had to do was be faithful to that work. He wasn't asking for counselors. He wasn't asking for a financial advisor. He was inviting them to work, and he was going to pay them what was just, what was agreed upon. In this context, this payment here is, is salvation. 
And you can look at it two different ways. You can look at it as, for example, you can say the ones who were there first were maybe Israel as they heard the gospel and then they had the Gentiles that come later. Or you can look at it as in the sense of some people, they accept Christ as their Savior at four years old. And then other people, minutes before dying, they put their trust in Jesus Christ and, and they all receive eternal life. It's God's gracious act. You can look at it from those different aspects. But here, it doesn't mean that there won't be some who have more rewards. We saw a bunch of scriptures last week about how those who are faithful here will receive uh, gold, silver, precious stones. Those who are unfaithful will receive wood, hay, and stubble, and those will get burnt up. But here the, the payment, the reward is eternal life. And these workers are just shocked. Now, how's, what's the resolution? How does it get worked out? We see two things here. And the first is that the landowner, he's, he's sovereign. He's sovereign. He asked the question, uh, verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what's my own? Can he do what he wishes with his own? It's his land. Not only is it his land, but his finances. Can he not give them away as he wishes? Well, of course. We think of Jeremiah chapter 18, 1 through 12. You remember the prophet Jeremiah goes into the potter's house. And of course, the potter's there. He's working with the clay, and, and he's asking the clay, what, what do you want me to do with you, right? No. He doesn't ask the clay what he should do with it. He does with the clay as he sees fit. He pushes it down. He turns it this way. He does it this way. Why? Because the potter is sovereign in his work. He doesn't ask the clay for advice. And here you see that God is sovereign. Now, not only is he sovereign, but he's good. It says there um, that at the end of verse 15, or is your eye envious because I'm generous? That word for generous is, uh, is the word for good. And uh, he, he is a good God. He, he delights in doing what is good. He doesn't ever do what is evil. He only does what is good. He's sovereign, and he sovereignly does everything good. Now, as we look at this, and we're finishing up with this, it says, um, uh, God invites all to come, but only who accept receive the reward. Only those who come receive the reward. See, he gave the invitation out, and maybe some heard it and said, I don't know if he really has land. I don't know if he really can pay, so I'm, I'm just going to stay here, maybe wait for something better. They don't, they don't get the reward. God invites all to come, but only those who accept receive the reward. See, God's the hero of this story, and he is working graciously with idle, lazy, worthless people. Isn't that amazing? God's the, the hero in this, and he works with us. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is the day to accept this invitation. Today, He is inviting you to put your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and believe that that's the only thing that can save you and therefore have salvation. For some of us, we've already made that decision, and for us, the invitation is a little bit different. You notice that the landowner invited them to work in the vineyard. He didn't invite them to sit underneath the vine. He didn't invite them to consult with him. He didn't invite them to give their opinions about certain things. 
he invited them to work. And many times as Christians, we love the aspect of being involved with Christ and having eternal life, but when it comes to actually serving the Lord, no, we really want somebody to minister to us. We don't want to be ministering to other people. He invites them to work. The the work is huge. The vineyard is vast. There's opportunity for everyone to be involved. There's not just one person. No, it's, it's vast. Maybe you say, well, I used to be involved. Used to? No. There's work to be done. And the time is now to be serving the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text, there's this invitation that goes out to be involved in your work. And I pray that those who are saved here can actually point to things where they're serving you with their life. Father, I pray that they won't have an attitude that that we won't have an attitude that we're here to be ministered to, that we're supposed to be served, but rather that we'll look for opportunities to serve others and be involved in your work. Father, I pray for those who maybe never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they don't know, but maybe they're at their 11th hour. They keep on putting it off. But today, Father, it could be the day of salvation. I pray that today they will decide to accept Christ as their personal Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Charles is going to lead us in the last song. If you would, please stand with me. If you would like to come.